My name's Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. have the privilege of opening uh, God's Word this morning. We're in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, so you can open your Bible there or turn on your Bible there, however you uh, do it, and it will also be on the screen. But as we get started, before we open Genesis chapter 10, I want to give you kind of an overview of, of where we are, some context for where we are. So you know this, right? When you open the Bible, you're opening a story. It's like, it's like a movie. It's like starting, uh, like here, if we're starting Genesis 10, it's like starting about 10 minutes into the movie. So this is an unfolding drama. It tells one story and we're at the very beginning. And so we want to get um, some context. So if you look at chapter 10, you're going to see there's a long list of names. Now, remember last week what happened. Jeff uh, preached and it was Noah, it was the ark, God floods the world, all of humanity is destroyed, except for this one man, Noah, and his family. Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the story uh, of chapter 10 is the story of all the nations that come from their lineage. And so it's important. The title is The Table of Nations, if you're, if you're looking at it there. And then... In, from chapter uh, 11, verses 1 through 9, there's a little story about a tower, the Tower of Babel, which we're going to talk about this morning. But then if you look at verse 10, there's another list of names. So we've got like this name sandwich, right, on, on two ends. And in the middle, we've got this little story. And so what I want to draw your attention to before we start our story, I want to hit pause on this uh, unfolding plot. And I want to hit pause, and I want to show you an Easter egg. My kids do this with Marvel movies. Like, Dad, did you see that? See the gravestone? That's what this means. This new character is coming in or whatever, right? I'm going to do that for you right now. I'm going to hit pause, and I want to show you a little Easter egg that's really important for the plot development of the story, because we're going to come back to it. So remember this, okay? So look at uh, chapter, um, let's see here. Okay, we get to the end of chapter 10. And there's this list of nations that come from Noah's sons. And at the end, chapter 10 ends with 70 nations listed. If you were to go through and count all of these families, they represent 70 nations. 70 nations. That number's going to be significant. But here's the thing. Those nations are the sons, and it's in chapter 10, verse 25, there's this guy, Eber. Look at Eber. Eber had two sons, Peleg and Joktan. Now, the chapter 10 follows uh, Joktan's lineage, and you have to wait till chapter 11 to get his other son's lineage. You don't need to remember either of these people's names. I'll probably forget them too next week and I'm preaching. The names aren't important, but what is important is that you understand this story is lodged between a lineage and the first chapter 10 lineage has 70 families represented or 70 nations of people. Okay, and now we get to chapter 11. Let's find out what these 70 nations are up to. That's the context we're stepping into. Here it is, chapter 11, verse 1. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. All these 70 nations, they spoke one language. Now, as people migrated from the east 
Remember, we're east of Eden. They found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. This is cutting-edge technology here. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. What do they do with this new technology? Verse 4, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Now, right now, I don't know if you hear the music turning ominous here, but a city and a tower, what's wrong with that? I mean, that's pretty harmless, right? We do the, the same thing. But look at the reason for building this tower and this city. The number one reason, verse 4. It says, make, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Now, this is an important theme uh, as well, because the Hebrew word for name, let's make a name, is Shem. Shem, that's one of Noah's sons, Shem. His name means name. So if you've heard of the Semitic people, sometimes we refer to uh, Israelites as Semites. It comes from Shem. It just means name. And they are saying, let us make a Shem. Let's make a name for ourselves. Forget our great, 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 great grandfather. We want to kind of do our own thing, build a name for us. Now, this is basic human pride, right? We are going to do our own thing. We're going to display through this tower in the city our own greatness. We are going to be a big deal. This is like the, the ancient version of being an influencer, right? We're going to be, we're going to be a big deal. Everyone's going to know about us. Our city is going to be stronger than all the other cities. Our name is going to be greater than all the other names out there. This is what we do, isn't it? The, the tower building tendency of humans. We, we know this. We do the same thing, don't we? We want to build our brand, build our business, build our sports team, our university, our country, our 401k. We're going to fortress ourselves. We're going to make our name great. Maybe it's even our church. We're going to build our church. And our church is going to be the coolest church in the city and bigger than all the other churches. And we want to do this. Why? Because we really want a monument to our glory and our greatness. We, we all do this. We understand this. But look at their second reason for this tower, verse 4 at the end. It says, we don't want to be scattered. We don't want to be scattered through the earth. Now, what's wrong with that? This is actually rebellion against God's command in chapter 9, verse 7. Remember what God told them after, after the flood. This is part of the the covenant with Noah, he says, be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth, multiply on it. Okay, God's saying, hey, have children, spread out through the earth, and these people say, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to depend on God. We want to be self-sufficient. That's risky. It's dangerous to spread out. We want to be safe, secure, fortress ourselves. We'll come back to this. But I just have a question, and this is an obvious question to ask after reading this. 
Do you have any towers that you're building right now? Monuments to your greatness, ways that you want to make a name for yourself, ways that you want to elevate yourself over other people or for people to see you and for you to walk into a room and it's like, wow, they matter. They're a big deal. We can do this in a lot of different ways. Like we want to have a lot of children because we want our name to be great. Our identity becomes in our family or that we are a successful family, respected. Maybe it's our job, our business, through social media, our status in the community. We walk into work and people, wow, they're in a high position. What? There's all kinds of ways that, that we do the same thing. I was thinking about this and it, it made me think of a leadership challenge that we have in our church as elders. And we, you've heard us talk about this, but God is blessing us, right? Uh, God's growing our church. We had to go to three services because uh, we're outgrowing this building. Veritas Kids is outgrowing Veritas Kids. And, and, and uh, God is blessing us. And so what's the obvious next thing you have to do, right? If you're outgrowing your space, you have to build a bigger space, right? We have 21 acres and there's room to, to grow. And we're excited about that. People coming to know Jesus. But we read about this tower and we're like, wait a minute. Are we building a tower for our glory? Like we don't want to do this, right? And so the challenge of leadership is how do we continue to grow but not in the tower building kind of way? And we've talked about this last year. We, we took an Advent offering. And, you know, last year we just, we told you guys, hey, we're not going to hype this thing. You're not going to see a bunch of videos and, you know, let's pull out the marketing packets and really get you guys hyped up for this this campaign to raise money. Uh, no, we're just like, ah, there's an offering coming up. Pray about it. Do what God tells you to do and just, you know, prayer, prayerfully approach this thing. And we're doing it again. And the thing with that is that we struggle. We struggle with that. How do we know if we're building God's kingdom or our own tower for our own glory? We're going to come back at the end and find out how do we fight that tower tendency that we all have in application? But that's also an announcement for the Advent offering, by the way. So that's coming up in December. But anyway, here we go. So what does God do about this great tower and the city? Verse 5, look, look at what happens. So the Lord came down. This is hilarious. The Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. Do you see the, the humor here? Like the God of the universe is coming down to, to look at this tower. I remember um, when we uh, the first time I was flying into New York City. I've never actually been to New York City, uh, but I remember flying into New York City on our way overseas. And I remember seeing Manhattan and seeing downtown New York City. And I couldn't believe it because it looked like a little toy city. Just all these little buildings. And from 30,000 feet, it looks tiny. It looks insignificant. God, imagine the God of the universe coming down to look at this tower. Like it had to be like this, just smaller than a little anthill. And does God admire their tower and say, wow, you guys are amazing? Uh, verse 6, the Lord said, If they've begun to do this one as one people, all having the same language, 
then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there. Now you're saying, you see let's? That's already the plural form of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We even see that here in Genesis. Let's go down and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. What does God do? They're all speaking one language. He confuses their language and he calls the name of the city Babel. You've heard one-year-olds babble. When a child babbles, it's just confusion. You don't really know what they're saying. And that's now what all these people sounded like to each other as they're trying to communicate. And now for the first time, we have a language barrier. And the word babble, it just means confusion. Uh, He says, you don't want to scatter. Two times for emphasis, it says the Lord scattered them from this city. Here's what we learned from this. Rebellion against God always leads to Babel. It always leads to a place of confusion and chaos. You understand this in relationships, right? Where you might be in an argument, you might be in a fight with a, um, whether it's a child or a spouse or a friend, and you guys are in an argument, and sin enters the equation, and next thing you know, communication is just Babel. It's chaos. It's confusion. That's what sin does. And the further we get east of Eden, we have cities just like Babel. It's chaos. And you're going to hear this name Babylon throughout the rest of the Bible. It's synonymous for a place of sexual immorality, wealth and prosperity apart from God, Revelation 18 describes the city Babylon. I'm not going to put it up now, but you can read Revelation 18 later. And finally, once and for all, Babylon, the place that represents the chaos of a world without God, is finally destroyed. Babylon, it would be synonymous with like Vegas. If I say Vegas, hey, I'm going to Vegas. You guys know what that means. It's Vegas. It's a place of We call it sin city. That's what Babylon is, this theme. And God does not admire towers. He destroys them. And so here we are, the story of Babel. So what do we do? What do we do about this? What's our response to this? Uh, I want to spend some time here on the application. The, The first point of application is obvious. Here it is. Repent. Invite Jesus to tear down your tower. Repent. You come to the story. You see the tendency of the human heart. And our response is repent. Change our minds. Change our thinking. And invite Jesus to tear down our towers. As I said, humans admire towers. God destroys them. And don't wait for Revelation 18 for God to destroy your tower. You know, I think we're all going to die and we're going to stand before God and he's going to look at our life and it's like, so show me, what have you been building? What have you been working on? (laughs) 
Romans uh, 12.2 says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. The pattern of Babylon. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the ways that I think we struggle as believers is we live in Babylon, right? We live in the world and we're constantly being shaped by the thinking of this world. So I think this first point is just this week, take some time to pray about it and think about it. Because right now, some of you might have obvious things that are coming to your mind like, ooh, this is the thing that I've been building with my own hands for my glory. Others of you might be like, I don't know. That's kind of abstract, hard to think about. This week, spend some time praying and just invite Jesus. Start your day, hands open. Jesus, my whole life is yours. What have I been building like this tower for my own glory? Talk about it in your connection groups and then invite Jesus brick by brick to tear it down. Secondly, Okay, let me go back to our little Easter egg we talked about earlier. So remember the two brothers and how chapter 10 ends with one of the brothers' lineage and it says there were 70 nations. Okay, now after the story, there's a lineage of the second son, chapter 11, verse 16. This guy, Peleg, okay, Peleg, he was the other son of Eber. Okay, two sons, chapter 10 ended with one of the sons. Now he picks it up in verse 10 and he finishes the lineage through this other son. And this guy Peleg had a son who had a son who had a son who had a son named what? Abram. Abram. We know him as Abraham. He's the father of many nations. We'll talk about him next week in chapter 12. And what does God say to Abram? He says, I will make you into a great nation. Now you're meant to see the contrast here. Chapter 11, we will make a name for ourselves, 70 nations. Abram, God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. So Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? We know this, you guys know this song? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. How many sons did he have? That's what I want to know. Just the song says many. But actually, Genesis ends and it tells us how many sons he had. Genesis chapter 46, verse 27. All those of Jacob's household, so Jacob was Abraham's son, who came to Egypt. Drum roll. 70, 70 persons, 70 people through Abram. Now, he had more than 70 people, 70 sons and grandsons, right? But 70 significant, right? What, remember what we talked about at the end of chapter 10, 70 representing the nations. And what were the nations up to? The 70 nations were building towers with their human hands. But now we see Abraham, this guy that comes, and through Abraham, 70 people representing what? what? What do you think the point of that is? The children of the promise, this new humanity, the Bible's setting up the whole storyline here, that we've got, we've got all of humanity, the nations, but then we've got this new humanity through the promise of Abraham, 
a people built by God's hands, not human hands, through the promise and culminating, of course, with the person of Jesus, the promised Messiah. That is the storyline of the Bible. And Genesis 12 or 10 and 11, this contrast between the nations and the new humanity, it continues through the whole Bible. And we get to Luke chapter 10, Jesus. Let's see Luke 10. Jesus gathers a group of disciples. How many disciples does he gather? Well, of course, he's got his group of 12 But he's got a bigger group of people that he sends out on a mission trip. And how many does he have? Luke 10, 70. 70 that he sends out on the first mission trip. Here's what this means. Jesus gathers his representatives, his ambassadors, his new humanity, his followers. And he gathers 70. And I think that's symbolic to say, these are the children of the promise. These 70, and some of your translations say 72, not not a big deal. Clearly, this is pointing back to Genesis 10. And what he's saying is, my followers, I am going to send them back into every one of those lost nations. And they are going to go. And remember in Luke 10, he says, I'm I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. I'm sending you back into the darkness. What marks this new humanity is that they are sent now as salt and light into this dark, decaying world. And they're going to be his representatives. They're going to go as missionaries. That's Jesus' application to the story of Babel. The nations gather to build towers with human hands, but this new humanity, they're building the kingdom as missionaries, as representatives of Jesus. So my sister uh, and her family live in Southern California. And you guys know, you've probably heard in the news some things that are happening in California. A lot of people are leaving the state. And... um, you know, my sister uh, has told me a lot of her friends are moving out of California. Why are they leaving? Uh, they want to raise their family in a different place and all this stuff. So I, I get it, right? I, does anyone want to move to California? I don't know. Some of you do. I, but I love to visit California. Don't know if I'd want to live there. All right. Well, here's the thing. Realtors in other surrounding states have capitalized on this kind of exodus from California. And actually, the fastest growing state in our nation is, anyone know? Uh, Idaho. Yeah, Idaho. Everyone's moving to the hills of Idaho. And the realtors are capitalizing on this. I found a website called, and the, the name of the realtor group is Flee the City. Run to the hills. Of Idaho. We should tell them Iowa's got some cool hills too. We can get some of this. All right. Listen to this quote from the website. Owning rural rural property anywhere in the United States gives you the freedom to be you. 
break free of the confines of the sanctuary cities and choose abundance. Build a garden, grow your own organic food, start a family, homeschool your children, and teach them the ways of our founding fathers while building a legacy for your family for generations. We're going back to Eden, people. We're going back to Idaho. I mean, they found the Garden of Eden. This is like the best place ever to raise your family, right? Okay, let's get this out of the way for those of you that might be moving to Idaho. There's nothing wrong with moving to Idaho. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's what's wrong with moving to Idaho. If your motivation as a follower of Jesus is to orient your whole life around avoiding the world. Fortress yourself in the hills of Idaho so that you don't have to face the darkness of this world. That would be a wrong motivation for moving to Idaho. To build your little tower in the hills when clearly Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is commissioning us, sending us into the darkness. This is the obvious second application point of the Tower of Babel story is to reorient your life around building God's eternal kingdom. The darker the world gets, the more we will have a tendency to run from the darkness, but not Christians. We have to hear the voice of Jesus saying to us, I'm sending you like sheep among the wolves. I think that's hilarious. You're like, there's wolves out there. He's like, I know. And you're like, and we're sheep. We're defenseless. He's like, I know. I'm sending you into the darkness. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. We named a ministry after this verse. We're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, or as the children's song says, a bushel. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No! No, like this sermon could be summarized in Father Abraham had many sons and this little light of mine, right? This little light of mine, what do you do with the light? You let it shine. I think the modern evangelical version is like, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. It's like, run to the hills of Idaho. I'm gonna, like, no, we don't all run to the hills. We move toward the darkness. And I understand as families, you have a lot of 
complicated decisions you have to make regarding your children because their discipleship is your stewardship and that will mean a lot of different educational choices. We love them all, homeschool, private school, public school. But I want to tell you a story. Um, my sister-in-law was a kindergarten teacher um, in the public school, and she was leaving for Turkey to be a missionary. Uh, her and her husband were taking their young family, moving to eastern Turkey. And she was sitting out on the playground one day, and this girl had learned, in the classroom kind of learned, that she would be moving to Turkey. And this little girl comes up to her and sits next to her and says, Mrs. Westman, is it true that you're going to be a missionary? And she said, yeah, I'm going to be a missionary. And she looks at him and says, I'm a missionary here too. And that six-year-old, she gets it. And the parents of that six-year-old, they get it. They're raising their children to be missionaries. That's our goal. And the darker the world gets, we don't run from the darkness. We move toward it because Jesus tells us that's where he wants us. I struggled with this because, um, as you guys know, a couple weeks ago, I took my, two of my boys to Africa, to Zambia. And my struggle as a parent was Zambia and where we were going in Zambia, it's dangerous. The roads are terrifying and dangerous. Narrow roads, potholes, Huge, huge trucks. I mean, you see on the side of the roads, trucks turned over, burnt up. And it's like, wow, that could be us. And what will they say if something bad happens to Mark and his kids? Like, that was reckless. That was dangerous. What do we do if we come home with malaria or some disease or get bit by a dangerous snake? It's filled with snakes, spiders. Lions, tigers, bears, everything. Like anything that can kill you is there. And we're moving toward it. And I had this like kind of feeling of, is this reckless of me as a parent? And I was processing this last week with Rebecca Russell, whose husband was in Malawi. Mike and Rebecca are... Uh, he's um, an orthopedic surgeon, almost done with his residency, been here for years, uh, and, and his ambition has been to be a missionary doctor. And we were talking, I was talking with Rebecca, and I was thinking as we're talking, like, wow, you know, you're setting aside this career, lucrative career. millions of dollars to go raise your own support and live in a place like Malawi, potentially. I don't know where they're going to end up. And we were talking about this. And she said, I struggle. And she's with her two little children. As a mom, I'm going to take my children 
into this dangerous place. Kids get malaria often. And she's processing this as a mom. It's scary going into the darkness. And so what I said to her is, Rebecca, that sounds like a great idea. You should totally do that. Because what is safety anyway? Is safety a place? No, safety is a person. I would rather be, where would you rather be? On a yacht, on a calm sea, or in a little fishing boat in a hurricane, but Jesus is there. It's like, Rebecca, this is an awesome idea to take your children to a dangerous place and they can see Jesus there. This is exactly how people who are not building towers but building the eternal kingdom of God, this is their thought process. That's what makes sense. This world is not our home, and I don't know about you, but I don't want Babel. I want Zion. I want the new Jerusalem, the city with foundations. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for our church that we will not lose our saltiness on campus, in the hospital, in the workplace, at home, with our children. Jesus, we want to be salt and light, and for that we need you to just turn up your voice so we can hear. This week, show us. I invite you to shine your light into the darkest places of my heart. Show me just evil motives or ways that I'm trying to build my kingdom for my glory. God, I just invite you, and, and as a church, we we don't want you to be on the outside standing at the door knocking, saying, hey, can someone let me in? We want to just say, come, Jesus, show us. And we invite you brick by brick, just tear down our idols, our towers. And God, just, we want to hear your voice. So as we take communion, Lord, as we come to the cross, we just, we come and, and just asking forgiveness, cleanse us. Our sin has led to all kinds of babble and confusion relationally with each other. God, forgive us, cleanse us, and send us as salt and light in this world, we pray in your name.